0: Inside my cabin door and keep on thinking more and more about my life.
1: Are you interested in vintage clothing, secondhand shopping, the reselling community, history, or all of the above? Then this is the show for you. My name is Rebecca, and I'm here to talk to you about other people's things. I'm here not only to discuss the material aspect of clothing, but our relationship as a society to other people's things and how we go about obtaining them, selling them, finding them, and sharing them. Thanks for joining me today. Today, I have a special guest. Her name is Desiree Day, and while she is not here in the studio with me, I have Miranda, who you might remember from the very first episode of my podcast. Here with me to read in her place. Hello, Miranda. Hello, hello. It's a pleasure to be back, and it is a pleasure to have you here. I couldn't do it without you. Miranda has been helping me with navigating, editing, and all sorts of other things that I wasn't really prepared to do because this is only, I think, going into the fourth week of having this podcast, and I went from knowing nothing about it to being able to churn these out every week and. It's, it's been a learning experience. So thanks for sticking with me everybody while I figure out all the technical things. So the first question I have today is, can you tell me how long you've been thrifting and buying things secondhand and where you typically like to go to buy items? I have been
2: dressing vintage since the mid nineties. Granted, I didn't know what I was doing then. I didn't have a defined style yet, so I bought pieces that I liked, no matter the decade. I started shopping at thrift stores and thrift and still shop the best I can at secondhand stores. Up until the pandemic, I use online sources such as eBay, Poshmark, and Facebook Marketplace to find the best deals. I rarely use Etsy.
1: Maybe you could share with me why you don't usually use Etsy?
2: When Etsy first started, it was nice to have another outlet to buy other than eBay. I remember at first Etsy was cheaper than eBay. Then it kind of went back and forth until Etsy was way more expensive. Part of the rise in cost is Etsy's practices, but it's also that most of the sellers there are beyond my budget. I used to occasionally find a small seller that had affordable pieces, but I can no longer find that. I only shop on Etsy for supplies or handmade items. I haven't used Etsy to regularly buy vintage clothing since the beginning of 2020. Even when I did purchase a few things during the pandemic and went above my budget, I was disappointed in the product compared to what I paid for it. Many of them had much wear and tear compared and were not all that special to the price.
1: I think that's very interesting because I have been shopping on Etsy since my early twenties, and I'm 33 now, so I would say about 10 years. And I have seen such such a change in how things are offered and how they're priced. I used to be able to find a very nice 50s shirtwaist dress for $50, sometimes less. And I remember buying at least a couple of things that I still have now back then for a very good deal. So I do notice that, or did notice that during the pandemic, things suddenly shifted and became much more expensive. And it was a slow rise from that point. Now it seems to be much more of a curated kind of elite place. But in the past to me, it felt more like an online thrift store or just kind of a place for creatives and makers to come together. So I've definitely noticed that too.
2: Yeah, to me, it actually almost felt like a flea market or something. Like you could find really nice things for cheap and there would be people that would just sell things like every once in a while or like small scale sellers rather than just, you know, kind of bigger businesses or people who resell for a lot of money and it's just like their main thing rather than just like, you know, every once in a while they
1: list something. It's interesting and I I think that probably COVID and the pandemic had a lot to do with that as well because so many in-person stores were closing and I know a lot of places just took their businesses to Etsy and I think that so many of them are there now selling that it feels like this is just an online boutique for really expensive vintage now. And I really don't like that that's become the standard because that took the people who were charging more affordable prices and it made them think that they have to charge these higher prices too now. And it's kind of controlling the perception of what things are really worth and how much to sell them for. Oh, yeah, I agree. So my next question for Desiree is, what was the scene like back when you were first getting into vintage versus now?
2: I never was deep in the scene, but have always been a huge shopper. In the late 90s, early 2000s, most sellers on eBay were experienced dealers. They knew their stuff. I hadn't been collecting long, and there wasn't a lot of information on the internet back then, so I learned from these listings. As far as the scene, though, I never went to events. I heard about them. I remember hearing how clicky Viva Las Vegas was. Back then, if you didn't dress authentic, you were looked down upon. I heard that there were popular girls and there were unpopular girls. It was like being in high school. Because of this, I never had the desire to go to these events. Since the scene grew, the feeling of popularity at these events seemed to have died down. Social media is a different story, though. It's
1: interesting because it it seems like you can change the location, you can change the events, but there are still similar things happening socially within the vintage community that might never change. For instance, I'm hearing that Viva Las Vegas, I've never personally went. I remember reading a lot about it, um, maybe five or six, maybe even more than that years ago. And that was kind of where everybody went who was into like the vintage scene and there was a lot of pin-up type looks going on if i remember correctly and i used to think like wow that's where i would go if i finally get my wardrobe together and can afford to travel a little bit like that's where i want to go i want to meet friends but now that i look at it i i might have been an unpopular girl so i don't know if i would have liked it as much as i thought that i would have <laughs> So my next question is, what has been the greatest change you've noticed when it comes to how vintage clothing collectors are able to obtain new pieces, especially in the past five years?
2: Though I've been thrifting my whole life, I started looking for vintage in high school. There was quite a bit of it in the thrift stores, at least the ones I frequented. This was the time when the Swing Revival happened and there was a small group of people getting into vintage The vintage shops back then were brick and mortar. I started noticing those dealers shopping at the thrift stores, and shopping for myself became harder. The biggest change was when Mad Men came out. That show exposed the masses to vintage, and more people were getting into it. The prices went up, and 50s items, though the show was first set in 1959, were really becoming popular. Of course, shortly after that, social media became popular. That changed the scene again. There have always been trends on what people collect in all aspects of vintage and antiques, but the trends in clothing became more apparent. People started collecting more of what was the current thing to wear. If one was able to dress in whatever was trending, then they got more likes and became more popular on Instagram. But if you were willing to look, deals could still be found. Then the pandemic happened and things closed for a time. That's when I noticed the prices jumped dramatically. Things online were getting harder and harder to get, unless you were willing to spend hundreds of dollars. I saw things sell for a couple hundred to be flipped for a couple hundred more. Then the flipped item would be snatched up in a matter of hours. I saw people bidding things up to $700 or more. I had a transaction on Poshmark get canceled shortly after my purchase, only to find it several months later for sale on Instagram by a well-known dealer. I eventually gave up buying online.
1: And I can see why that would be very frustrating, disappointing, upsetting, especially when you have come from a place where it was once quite easy to find. And now it's at the point where it's so hard to find it. And it's interesting hearing this timeline, too, because I'm putting all the pieces together. It sounds like it started with the 90s swing revival. And I remember that. I remember. When that was really like a big thing and then it seems like that was kind of the ignition to bring all this on the map again and then it slowly just became more and more popular like i remember when mad men came out too and everybody wanted to dress like the characters on that show and it worked so perfectly with all of the you know beautiful vintage dresses and suits that you could find online and i remember for me i it took me a while to get into mad men but I did appreciate the outfits always. And and I think that it had a lot to do with why things are the way they are right now. It's kind of an iconic show and people still talk about trying to recreate the outfits from it. And I don't think it's ever going to disappear into obscurity. And And just kind of what I was talking about before how the pandemic kind of pushed everything online i can see how that also increased the the feeling of availability and scarcity because you no longer have as wide of a range of places to get your vintage from anymore you can either go back then it was like you could go brick and mortar and find things that you probably couldn't ever find online because they were doing pretty well and now it's like you can kind of see the same things everywhere because most places have moved online just to cope with how things are now or were a few years ago. So it it really seems like it didn't just happen overnight in a flash. Like it was a slow build up and a long time coming.
2: I just think it's really interesting that that type of like attitude is still sticking around even after the pandemic we're pretty far out now but it still seems like things are so exclusive and that things are still so much more expensive like i think there's just more people in the reselling game as well now that are
1: looking to flip things and make money that's a good point miranda because i think that that mindset has still kind of stuck even though we're not in the pandemic anymore and it makes me wonder how many resellers are aware of this and perhaps taking advantage of how much money that they were able to make during the pandemic and they see the benefit in continuing to tell people the same thing as they were telling them before. I don't know. It's just something to think about, but I could see how, with how much money they were probably making at that time with those types of prices, it probably gave them a moment where they were like, wait a minute, this is actually really benefiting me and I want to hang on to this for as long as I can.
2: Oh yeah, maybe they don't want to go back now, you know, to the old way.
1: Right. Not when the old way was giving them hundreds of dollars less for the same types of items. And I think they've realized that once you're online, you can control the perception of the vintage clothing and its value in a much different way. You can kind of take advantage of the fact that other countries and places might have more uh, of scarcity, they might have less to choose from. So you can take those perceptions and market it to everybody that way and say, well, this person's telling me that they can't find anything like this anymore. And so it must be true for everybody because this is allowing me to raise my prices significantly and it's really working out well. So I can see why they might not want to go back to the old ways or a brick and mortar store or or even selling for the old prices. No,
2: that's, a re- that's a really good point, like the perceived scarcity. It's almost like creating this image and sort of putting blinders on people that you know things are kind of different from how they actually are. So that was a really good point.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's it's just so interesting to me. And I also want to say one more thing. I think that COVID um, and the pandemic in general kept people inside a little bit more. So it makes sense that maybe they were having more time to explore their creative outlets, um, watching more old movies, or getting exposed to more TV shows like Mad Men, for instance, and that probably as a collective got everybody thinking the same thing, like this is really cool, I have some extra time now to experiment with this stuff, and they want to get their hands on it, and I think that, you know, a perceptive reseller probably has noticed that, and they were like, let's capitalize on it, why not? And I, I mean, I have opinions as to why not, but I can see how someone would get really excited about that prospect. So the next question, I know you said that you used to resell, but stopped in the last few years. How long were you selling for and on what scale? What experiences or feelings led you to decide to stop selling even though it was something that you really loved to do?
2: So, I've dabbled in selling since the mid-2000s, once my knowledge base was large enough to describe things accurately. When I found a honey hole at a thrift store, I found things that I could not wear. I decided to start selling on Etsy to find these pieces a home. I sold as a hobby. It brought me joy to find a dress for $20 and sell it to someone for under 100 knowing that many out there cannot afford much more than that. It made me happy to provide people with affordable vintage and have repeat customers express their gratitude. Because most of my stock was from the thrift store and occasionally my own closet, I never had a large stock. So it was hard to get the traffic to my shop. After just a few years, I got burned out and quit. The stress of worrying about finding my items for sale in a high profile shop for three times more than I sold it for was just too much. I had one dress that was purchased by a high profile seller. I had it dry cleaned and there wasn't any damage to the dress. The seller bought my dress and put it in her look book. It really feels unfair to see something that you spent the time digging for and the money to clean it, turn around and immediately show up in another shop for more money. The flippers at that time claimed that they took the time to mend and clean these items, but many of us small time sellers already did that work. Most of the time, there was nothing left to do, and usually the item would end up in their shop within a week. In the case of the dress that ended up in the lookbook, the flipper actually thanked me publicly for reminding her that I existed so that she could buy from me. That was not a good feeling.
1: Of course not. It's not very um, thoughtful of a way to put that, is it? And I just want to say that I love the term honey hole. (laughs) It's kind of funny. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> Found a honey hole at a thrift store. I mean, it is exactly how it's being described. Sometimes you do find a really fortuitous um occasion where you stumble upon a whole bunch of things and for a great price. I totally understand. And it sounds like what Desiree had done before was, you know, she was finding things for $20, maybe, maybe less, maybe just a little more. And she was selling it to someone for under a hundred, which I would say is a very fair price for a forties thirties dress. Um, and I think that it should kind of be the standard, honestly, unless it's something very special or you had to do a lot of work on it or something like that. But that's, that's the prices that I'd love to see, but you're just not really seeing them anymore. And it sounds like what was happening is she was putting the stuff in her Etsy shop and instead of it going to vintage lovers who could really appreciate that price and needed that price to continue their hobby, they were seeing that and using using Etsy as a way to buy things from smaller sellers and they thought they could get more for it based off of maybe their platform and then they sold it for much more. So what it's doing is taking out the opportunity for someone who needs the price of a $100 dress for their collection and this reseller is saying, you know, I'm going to just take this. I'm entitled to this item because I want to buy it, I can afford it, I want it for my shop. And the biggest issue with that is they're not thinking about who that's hurting and they're not thinking about who that's affecting and who that's taking that fair price away from. And that's, that's what is causing a lot of these problems. And that seems like that's what Desiree was saying that caused her not to want to sell too much. It sounds very stressful to constantly have to worry about who your items are going to, if they're honorable reasons, And, you know, that's the stress of offering things for a fair price. You are now having to worry about resellers who are getting their inventory exclusively or almost exclusively from people online who are selling things for an affordable price because they want more and they think they can get more. So they think that entitles them to get more.
2: Yeah, I feel feel like that's really unfair. They don't really do any of the work yet they get to reap those benefits. And honestly, it's like I know I've heard a lot of talk about this, my personal opinion, just about the whole like calling out resellers whenever they do unethical things is anti-woman. But this really seems anti-woman to me, you know, taking away an affordable dress from, you know, maybe like a lower income woman that would love to wear something vintage. But now they can't afford something that's, you know, been cleaned, that's nice quality for an affordable price. Like it's just taking it kind of right out of their hands.
1: It is. And I think that most of their customer base is probably women, so it's important for everyone listening today to think for yourselves. Do you think that it's just as anti-woman to take your audience, who's mostly women, and take advantage of them, which I think is what they're doing. They're taking advantage of the fact that they can charge more, and they can buy from other women shop owners and kind of cut them out of that profit that they're making it's not a good feeling and i do think that it primarily affects women and that is the true anti-woman issue here that's really going on and i don't think they want us to be talking about that part so the next question is can you tell me more about your experience with voicing your own concerns a few years ago after getting brushed off And how did it feel? And I just want to say one thing. Um, We're talking about a situation a few years back that Desiree told me about where she actually made a post about her concerns about the vintage community, price gouging, hoarding and, and flipping. But she didn't have as much success as I did with getting a response. So that's kind of what brought us together in the first place. So how did that feel? So, during the time,
2: and shortly after my stint in selling, I often voiced my concerns on Instagram. I was never taken seriously, except by a couple friends who felt the same way I do. I was trying to get people to realize that they could save money by looking for these small sellers. The larger sellers have nothing more to offer than their popularity. But buyers would often side with the sellers, saying that it was capitalism and they had a right to flip. Vintage was already becoming a status symbol for those who could afford it compared to those who could not. I knew it would get worse, and it has. It made me feel like I was fighting a losing
1: fight by myself. And I could tell you that that's probably how it would have ended up for me if I wouldn't have received so much support and like-minded people coming forward. So I just want to thank anyone who's listening that did that because I could see how it could get depressing very quickly to feel alone in those thoughts and feelings I I think it's very interesting that the buyers and resellers were protecting and defending this, saying that it's capitalism, because I have heard many people who support resellers and resellers spreading their posts and supporting them say that they are anti-capitalism which I find very interesting that anybody who says they're anti-capitalism can say they're pro-reseller at the same time. Just something to think about. Yeah, it seems like a contradiction to me. (laughs) Exactly. And I'm not saying that either one is, I'm not saying it's bad to support capitalism. Exactly. I'm not saying that I'm violently or extremely against that in any shape or form but I am against the extremes. And this is an extreme, it has turned into an extreme. And one thing I also thought was interesting that, that she said is that vintage was already becoming a status symbol. And one thing that I loved about vintage that brought me towards it, and I'm sure you too, Miranda, and I'm sure Desiree too, if she was here to agree, would be that you didn't have to be rich to look good and feel good and now people that have a little bit of money that are looking for that status are turning towards vintage because they are realizing that it is the most unique expression of individualism, which is a very Western value. And again, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but they're turning towards that because they know that you can't get any more individual with something that's not being made anymore. And I think it's very attractive to them and it's offering them status and uniqueness that they might not be able to get otherwise if they were buying like a Chanel purse or whatever people used to do to show their status. So I think that's interesting. Do you think anyone has a right to flip, really? What makes them more entitled to flip these items rather than someone being able to buy it at an affordable price? Reselling itself isn't bad, it
2: is the extreme version of it. It is the taking of all the resources, creating a have or have not environment. It is buying for a low price and selling for an unattainable price. For example, Poshmark used to have a lot of affordable vintage pieces. Most of those that sold vintage on this platform were not vintage dealers. But rather people who were selling from their own closet or those who thrifted to resell, it may have come across one vintage piece. As someone who bought for herself, I found that I had stiff competition from vintage dealers. I found that if I took the time to ask questions about condition or measurements, the item would be sold before I got an answer minutes later. I would see items sold for $60 listed later on a vintage dealer's page for two hundred to four hundred dollars. Worse yet, I would see an item listed for $25, sold for 10 and then relisted on a vintage dealer's page for several hundred dollars in less than two weeks. This was not an occasional thing, but a common thing. This is the type of reselling that I think is hurting others. Not only is the original seller getting next to nothing for their item, but it is being resold for a huge profit. It takes affordable pieces off the market. It forces the consumer to pay the high price because there is nothing left at an affordable price. It creates an environment where only those who can afford such prices can wear these pieces.
1: You're doing such a good job reading this, sis.
2: (laughs) Oh, thank you. I feel like I slipped up so many times, but also like, because I'm reading right from the paper, some of these, like the sentences don't have punctuation or there's small errors. So I have to like, try to adjust without
1: stumbling. (laughs) that was my fault for not going through it first we are kind of typing back and forth but the way you talk so I think that it can lead to a little bit of mess ups but you're doing great right thank you I just just wanted to give you a little boost there power up thank you no because I was
2: definitely like woo. like is it obvious I'm reading from a piece of paper
1: (laughs) I mean maybe because you are but But I am, yeah. <laughs> but it's still very clear. It sounds like an audiobook or something. So, good. So I'm trying. Good. Yeah. yay. Um one thing I wanted to say about this part was the biggest issue I agree with 100% of everything that she's saying and the biggest issue that I'm kind of pulling from this too is that this isn't just a remote thrift store or the bins or somewhere where other people might not want to go or are not able to go. This is the online open marketplace where anyone can sign on, go to the library if you don't have a computer, they can sign on, they can view everything and they can buy things for all sorts of prices, high and low. And the biggest blunder that is being committed here is that they're taking that away from the open marketplace where it's at this point available to mostly everyone saying, I'm going to flip that. And they don't think, Hey, maybe there is someone that wanted to buy it at that price that really needs it because it's available to everyone. So they can't say that they're bringing it out of obscurity to show to, you know, their following because it's there. If anybody just wants it, all they have to do is just type in a search term and they've got it. So that's the biggest unethical part about this is that they're taking things away from people that really want it, that could use it at those prices and deciding, hey, I'm going to be the authority on this. I can get a lot of money for this. I'm going to talk it up, take some nice pictures, put it in my thrift store fashion show. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about the look books, but it's, it's what's happening right now. And the most important part of this conversation is that everything I'm saying is from a true account of either myself or someone else who has witnessed it and been there. I'm not adding or embellishing anything. So keep that in mind. And I do think it's really hurting others. And we need to be talking about this because I don't want it to get to the point where only the most affluent types of people can afford to wear the beautiful vintage that many of us saw as a gateway or an opening, an opening door towards our own creativity and sense of finally feeling like you have a way to fit in and feel really good. Because before I found Vintage, I didn't really feel that at home in my skin. I felt like I was still trying to figure things out and I just couldn't see my own personal style any other way now. And I don't want that to be taken away from most people. So my next question is, do you feel that reselling full time can be sustainable or ethical in today's current climate? So
2: over the last year, I have been going thrifting in my hometown on a regular basis. I was introduced to a new generation of resellers. They spend six to eight hours a day at these stores, grabbing multiple carts full of clothes. Really, spending six to eight hours a day shopping. Then another two to three hours listing is more than a full-time job. There aren't medical or unemployment benefits. There isn't paid leave. And most importantly, there isn't job security. In order to keep selling somewhat economically sustainable, you would have to keep up on the trends of what people are buying. What happens if people slow down in their buying? Do the sellers have a backup plan or a skill that can keep them going? I also feel that it is unethical to take away things from those that cannot afford it. Like I mentioned, I grew up thrifting. My parents didn't have a lot of money, so my clothes were hand-me-downs from friends with older kids or from the thrift store. I would estimate that 90% of the people at the store I frequent are resellers. Where does that leave those who cannot afford to clothe their family in new clothing? In turn, I have seen the prices at the thrift store become higher and higher. It can be argued that the thrift stores see the prices online and try to make more of a profit themselves. That also does not help those who are struggling financially. Some might argue that there will be enough clothing left over for poor people, but do you think the types of clothing they are leaving behind are enough? Like the low-quality items the flippers don't want? Should poor people have to accept that because resellers want to make money? There are lots of clothing options available if one wants to wear fast fashion. Many of these items are faded or ripped. The few that are in decent condition still won't last long because they are made cheaply. It's hard to find anything of value in a thrift store. Not everyone shopping in a thrift store are reselling, but many are. Typically, you can tell if someone is a reseller by the amount of items in their carts. Even some of the more picky resellers will have a big enough pile to clothe a family. Do I think it's fair? No, I'm fortunate enough to not be in a position to have to choose from the leftovers of the lesser desirable clothing. But from what I see left, I'm sure that it is a struggle for those whose only option is to shop at secondhand stores to find clothing in a quality so that they don't have to keep purchasing the sizes they may need or the style they want.
1: I think that that was a really well put statement and i have those same questions myself what's left over for the low-income people who are actually going to these places and i want to say that desiree is a pretty experienced thrifter and she talks to me about the bins quite in depth and i trust her judgment and her um account because she's been there she's seen it and these are real dilemmas that are going on right now. If more people bought what brought them joy and left what did not, how would this change the thrifting scene and vintage scene in general?
2: I wish more people would buy what brought them joy, not buying things because it's the latest trend. Buying used clothing keeps things out of the landfill. It also gives a person a unique style. I think it is very important to be true to ourselves instead of trying to dress in what other people say we should wear. I have seen a lot of people come and go from the vintage scene because they have grown out of the vintage style. They have found a style that is more true to them. I think that is great. There's something for everyone out there. And if we are all mindful about what we purchase, then there will be more for others. We don't need a huge walk-in closet full of clothes, though I am guilty of having more than what I can wear. It is a privilege to be able to
1: buy what we want and we need to be mindful of this i agree i have lots of clothes myself but i'm looking to downsize and get rid of them and that is why i started that facebook group that i'm talking about in my instagram so if you haven't heard about it please check it out i'm definitely looking to downsize my closet do you think resellers who sell at high prices are justified in doing so In what situation would they be justified in asking for a very steep price? It is very hard for me to set a price on what vintage is worth
2: because I've been collecting for more than 25 years. Something for $100 is a lot of money to me, even if I were in a position to afford it. I cannot understand how someone has the discretionary funds to buy something that is as much as another's rent or mortgage. Each has their own budget though and maybe $100 is not too much for them. I do think there's a tipping point when it is cheaper to have something made than to buy vintage. I've been having items made from vintage patterns for about 12 years. I started because I could get what I wanted tailored to me for about the same price as what vintage was going for. But now, it's flipped. I can get a fabulous on-trend garment made for me cheaper than what it would cost to buy a vintage. I don't understand how someone who has put in their skill and labor to create something could make less than someone who's just selling something already made. Exactly. (laughs) I personally agree. Um, I do think some things are worth a higher price. Things such as museum pieces or things that were owned by a celebrity, I can see going for higher prices. But everyday vintage pieces that the average person wore shouldn't be sold for extreme prices.
1: And I agree 100%. And that's what auction houses are for. That's what luxury um, dealers are for. That's what museums are for. These high, high prices. I think that seeing thousands of dollar items on Etsy, it feels so out of place to me, and it just makes me wonder to myself: like, are people kind of viewing themselves as luxury, like high end dealers? In these items or are they just trying to make whatever they can seem as high-end and luxury as possible to kind of boost their image and the income they can make from it
2: i think you're right i think it's all about perception and honestly brilliant marketing
1: yeah so <laughs> I that. high five gold star, crafty yes yeah. <laughs> it
2: manipulative but very crafty <laughs>
1: it's true it's true they can coexist can you Can you tell me about your experiences with buying items from expensive resellers who take nice pictures? Um, How it looks nice in pictures, but you're really just paying kind of for the illusion. What would you want anyone to know who purchases items at very high prices from these sellers? I tend to not be taken in by nice
2: pictures, though everyone should be taking decent pictures. But I'm willing to take a chance on an item without nice pictures if the price is right. Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. I do have an experience of nice pictures from something that was flipped from me. I bought a lot of 1930s items. I kept most of it, but some things I could not use. So I put them up for sale. One of the items was a red eyelet sailor style dress. There was a chunk of fabric missing at the hem. I priced it cheap, thinking that someone could repurpose the bodice into a blouse. It was purchased by a well known seller. Within a short time, it was up for sale by the seller. The pictures looked nice, but they were also angled in a way that the missing fabric was not seen. That part of the dress was so bad, there was no way I could think of fixing it. Also, the amount of time between was not enough to make any amends. I looked closely at the photos to see if I could tell if it was fixed. Because I knew where the damage was, I could see that the section had not been repaired. There was no mention of the damage in the listing. I've also heard experiences from friends about other sellers purposely angling pictures to not show damage then refusing refunds and being blocked when the buyer is not happy. I'm sure this doesn't happen often, but it didn't but it did happen and may still happen. I wish buyers would be aware that many of these high profile sellers are not standing in line at estate sales or digging through the racks at thrift stores. Several are not even called to private sales, though I do know a handful that do. They are getting their stock from other sellers. Maybe they have a better camera, lighting, or space and can take better pictures, but that does not mean you are getting a better item. Just because something is marked cheap doesn't mean that it is of lesser quality or that there's something wrong with it. If you are paying higher prices, you are paying for the popularity of the shop, the space rent, the fancy lights, but you aren't paying for the quality of the item.
1: I think it's true. Um, Pictures can sometimes lead us to believe that something is going to look just like us, that it did on the model, or just because, you know, they take beautiful pictures in an abandoned old mansion or a beautiful woodland setting that, you know, something magical is going to happen when you put on this dress. And maybe it does help add to that. But I do think that it is important for buyers to use discretion when looking at these items and purchasing them and realizing that the true magic does not come from these photos or the reseller who wants your money. The true magic comes from the inherited history of the dress, uh, its craftsmanship, and your own appreciation for it. So I think that exists within every garment, and if you're... Just buying it because you think that the person who is showcasing the item, taking those fancy pictures, telling you it's rare and that you need it and it's running out and you're never gonna find it again to put the pressure on you. Just remember that there will be more and it might not it's usually never never worth six to eight hundred dollars or however much they're charging for a regular dress that they're just taking nice pictures of. That magic does not come from them. It's just an illusion. And if you rely on that completely, chances are you might get the item and be very disappointed and regret spending all that money on you know, a simple garment that might even have some issues that they didn't even mention, or it might be too fragile to wear. I've had that happen to myself too. It's, it's a gamble. So why spend so much money on a used piece of clothing that could be more fragile than you both realize? It's, it's always a gamble with vintage, and that's why I think it needs to be affordable too. I was thinking that now would be a good time to take a break and come back shortly with the rest of the segment of this session. So we're going to have some water and come right back. back. Thank you for waiting and I hope that you're feeling a little bit refreshed to Miranda after our short break. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, I, and something I didn't mention earlier was I I hope that anyone who can see me is enjoying my 1930s evening dress because I know that evening wear has not been as in demand the past few years, probably due to the pandemic and people aren't going out quite as much, but I've just been itching to wear some of this stuff. So here I am with my 30s evening gown and my dress clips with sparkly crystals on them. And you know, it's the middle of the day on a Saturday, but it doesn't stop me and it shouldn't stop you. And I'd love to see everybody's evening dresses on social media more. It's so glamorous. So, my next question is, with many resellers who have lots of followers and large platforms, do you think they are calling the shots with high prices because they can or are these items really worth that much?
2: Well, I strongly believe that social media is a popularity game. Some sellers have a following no matter how high priced they are or how poorly that they treat their customers. It is my opinion that some buyers shop with these sellers to show how much they can afford. They can afford to pay premium prices and show off their goods. I have had buyers post pictures with stuff that they have bought from me without tagging me. But if they post a picture of something from a popular slash high-priced seller, they always tag the seller. To me, this shows that many like to show off, thinking that somehow buying from these sellers will make them more desirable to follow.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Because I brought this up on Instagram recently wondering what everybody's reasonings were for tagging the person who sold them the vintage garment. And honestly, most of the people who responded to me actually had pretty noble, good reasons. They were saying, you know, if I had a good experience with the seller, the price was good, everything was very consistent, and the item arrived fast, it was in good condition as described. They want to, you know, help out people that they feel are worthy of that attention. And I think that's fine. Um, you know, do what you want to do. And I personally, I've tried doing that in my earlier days about a year ago when I first started and I kind of stopped unless it was something that I had bought like repro or something new, because I just didn't really feel like I was seeing the benefit. I didn't I personally felt like I was trying to name drop or something, which I don't think everybody's doing this, but I've noticed some people that definitely seem eager to get some attention from some of these higher name, higher follower resellers. And I I think it's kind of similar to, you know, maybe someone who has a Chanel purse and they have a big logo on it and they want everybody to see where they got it from because that means something about who you are as a person. And I think some people maybe equate associating with some of these more popular, famous resellers with wearing a Chanel bag or having it serve as a status symbol. And I just think that's interesting. You know, you're giving them more business every time you tag someone, which is fine for the people who deserve it and are fair. But, you know, I think some people are benefiting from that in a way that is just contributing to the problem, perhaps. And I think it's good to consider who you're endorsing, because if they have a lot of controversy behind them and you find out why and you don't like their practices or how they treat people, um, pay attention to that. Pay attention to their stories. How are they treating other people? How are they talking to them? And if you think that they are conducting themselves in a good way or a healthy, friendly way, then awesome. But if they're not, then if you choose to endorse them anyways, then that's kind of sending a message to everybody else that follows you that they are not so bad. And I just think it's important to talk about that and consider you know, every time you share, that's, that's kind of an endorsement for them. So I've heard people who shop at the bins with intention to flip, say they're actually doing social good and they tell others, they are doing society a favor with their work. Do you think they are heroes saving things from the landfill? I've, I've heard some people call themselves that. The bins is a whole situation in itself.
2: As said before, I estimate that 90% of the people who shop there are resellers. I have heard that once the items in the bins have been picked through, they go to the landfill, but I've not seen any proof to back this up. It could be true. And it does make me feel good to think that I may be saving something from a landfill. But most of the resellers at the bins have vulture-like personalities. The bins can be open for 10 minutes and I see multiple people with two carts piled high with clothes. They grab anything and everything and then sort through it later. They push you out of the way to grab the newest thing that has come out. It is the utmost display of greed. Flipping from the bins has also become a status symbol in a way. I see lots and lots of YouTube videos bragging about their finds and how much they flipped it for. I have mixed feelings about this. On one side, they're taking from a local source and making it available worldwide. They aren't taking something that was already online and marking it up to unattainable prices. And there's always tons of stuff left even after they're done picking through it. Generally, you can still find practical and useful stuff since these are the things that don't typically sell. I struggle with the attitude behind it as mentioned. I do not view anyone as a hero who resells. They are still benefiting. If they bought things to donate to those in need, then they will be a hero.
1: I agree. And I think that's a really good point. It's never black and white. There's always a spectrum in gray areas. And you know, the, the biggest question that I have is, if the bins are really like this, um, so competitive, people piling up their carts the minute that they can, being greedy, inc- intimidating people from being included in that because they want first pick. How is this affecting the low-income families that come to places like the BINs looking for good deals for their families? Are they do they deserve to only get your leftover scraps of things that you were going to resell? You're not even using them for yourself, anyways? Or Are they entitled to have higher quality, nicer things too? Maybe they want those things as well. And I do believe that they should have first pick at these items before they're flipped and resold. And if that was the case, I know that that's not going to change. Like no one's going to put that rule down. But I would just ask resellers to consider that if you're not, I want to say vulturing, if you're not swooping in there and piling your cart as high as you can and taking as much good stuff for yourself first. I I think that it's something to just examine and think about. Like who's who's being affected by this? And is it really fair to do this to other people who might really benefit from having a super cheap, nice, high-quality piece of clothing? And if, you know, it's being donated by someone for free, then I think that there should be the opportunity for the people who need it the most to have it first.
2: Um, I personally also think that they're contributing to this like hostile, bad vibes atmosphere at thrift stores now. And it's kind of a shame that like poor people or people that, you know, have less money that they have to go in and compete and like deal with just the toxic, bad vibes. Like, I hate going to thrift stores now because of, like, the resellers there. They just vulture and try to get, like, right up on you and stuff. And just, like, like I'm lucky because I don't have to shop at a thrift store. But the people that have to use the bins and stuff, it's it's just a shame that they have to deal with that kind of shopping experience on top of everything else they're probably dealing with in life and struggling with.
1: Exactly. And, you know, we're lucky enough now to where our lives don't rely on thrift clothing anymore but we were at one point for a very long time reliant on that and as the years went by it became more and more hostile and difficult to compete and it's the most deflating thing when you walk into the thrift store and you see someone's cart filled to the brim with stuff you know that it's not all for them and it has things in it that you would like for yourself and you know that they're just going to resell that for more money than you can afford and it just feels like robbery in a way if it was for them fine good for you but i know that a lot of times especially these days it's just not anymore and thrifting used to be kind of a more relaxing shopping experience and i can't say that about how things are now
2: oh yeah and even as kids just like having to walk you know 25 minutes to get to the thrift store we didn't just go in our car you know it's like you're losing a lot of time that you're investing if you have to take public transportation or walk just to find like fashion nova and Shein. But anyway, I know I'm getting off topic from the interview, but it just made me think of that.
1: Yeah, and those items have stains and pills and like, you know, why should poor people have to take crumbs from people who are going to stores, the same stores just to flip? I don't think it's right. So my next question is, you mentioned talking about taking these items away from people who could use them. I've heard resellers defend themselves by saying there's plenty to go around. Do you think this is actually true i think
2: that to an extent there is plenty to go around but it may not be what people want to wear or what they need there's plenty of fast fashion and overly used items and if you're into what i like to call middle-aged fashion that could be found too men's plus size trending items vintage and higher quality items are extremely hard to find but for certain demographics such as babies and toddlers I think there is an overabundance. Lots of toys and Christmas items too. Going to the bins can save money, but I think it would be hard to buy everything you need there since most of the shoppers are there to make a buck.
1: And that is a very important answer, I think. Just that last sentence. It's going to be hard to buy everything you need there. Do people who are very poor and maybe don't even have access to a car, are they going to be able to jump around to different thrift stores hoping or different bins locations hoping they can find everything they need because resellers are impacting the selection. I don't think that's possible for most people who are poor enough to rely on that. And I say that because I've been there. So. I just know from a firsthand account that it's not so easy and you really do need those places where it's like a one-stop shop if you're in that situation because you're not going to have the energy or time or money to be going around to all these different thrift stores just hoping you might find something that you can use.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. You literally waste hours waiting for the bus.
1: Oh yes, and I don't miss those days. Nope, (laughs) me neither. Could you tell me about your experiences with the bins and the story that your dad told you about the flipper? Could you tell me about your experiences with the bins and the story your dad told you about the flipper? Some bins are worse than others. My dad and I only
2: go to one store where people are more respectful. He said that he has experienced people taking things out of his carts, people climbing over the top of you and actual fist fights at another store in town. That's not to say that people aren't rude at our store. They will still squeeze themselves in between people to get to things first. It's very hard to look when the bins first come out because there are so many hands trying to grab things. Also, people throw things to get to the bottom, which in turn breaks the more fragile items. TVs, monitors, pottery, and glass are usually broken very quickly. This practice seems to counter the saving it from the landfill ideology that so many claim to have. Wow. Out of those that are flippers, I would say that over half are under the age of 25. They're usually after t-shirts and 90s clothing. My dad overheard a very loud young man say that he sold one item for $400 and another for 300 I think this is what draws many to reselling. It seems like quick and easy money as long as there are people willing to spend hundreds of dollars on an item. I really find it rather disgusting. I just want to say that it was so hard not to laugh just thinking about the madness going on while I was reading this,
1: like about the zoo. And
2: I've experienced this type of thing firsthand too. So
1: (laughs) totally believe it. It's hard not to laugh sometimes just when you hear about the stress, it's almost like a coping response because you're just imagining how probably toxic or chaotic it is in there. And I just can't help but think there's something almost humorous about grown adults acting like just animals oh yeah it's like where is the spirit
2: of thrifting whenever we are kids like the the spirit of thrifting is dead
1: (laughs) i mean it's at least in the bins (laughs) yeah it's changed so much and i don't like the way it's changed i think we can agree there Mm -hmm. do you think reselling with the intent to buy as much as possible to sell for as high as possible leads to more competitiveness and potential animosity between vintage lovers and collectors what is uh, what is this doing or has done to our community
2: yes i do i think that the drive to be the most popular with the most sales drives the desire to grab as much as you can no matter who you have to step on like i mentioned before i think this adds to the high school clickiness that the vintage community was already struggling with as a vintage wearer slash buyer it is very hard to not get sucked into the having even though i am on the older side of the community i am not immune to this attitude i've had to step away from social media because i found myself comparing my clothing to others i do think it promotes greed and divisions. When sellers are out for the money and not for the love of vintage, it fuels that feeling in the community. I've seen sellers misrepresent items as older, decades, and price things higher. These sellers should know what they are doing. Even with just a little research or experience, it should be obvious that the item is not 1940s, but rather 70s. I think this shows that money is more important than the community, or even honesty. It also adds to the misinformation in the community.
1: Yeah, and I wanted to say that I actually have seen proof that one of the highest name or highest follower, most popular resellers on Instagram, who has actually blocked me, um, I have seen proof that she is actually misstating or has misstated um, items, but acts like she's the authority on all things vintage, which. I think there's no shame in misdating an item sometimes if you really don't know, but having that kind of haughty attitude towards looking down on others for not knowing, but then going ahead and making mistakes yourself sometimes is very hypocritical. And if I can find proof that you aren't always perfectly right and no one is going to be, then I really don't think it's fair to, or good practice to pretend or say that you are you know like a fashion historian or expert it's it's okay though and I mean actually fashion historians and experts probably still make mistakes themselves sometimes but the issue here is that these people are attacking others for not knowing and for having question sometimes even. And I feel like that's mean-spirited. And that is not the kind of attitude that someone who is giving themselves these titles should be portraying because everyone can mess up sometimes and make that mistake. I think their
2: problem is their ego's gotten a little bit too big,
1: to be honest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you tell me about an experience you've had with greedy reselling that left a bad taste in your mouth?
2: I have been fortunate not to have many experiences, but I also generally do not buy from popular sellers. My bad experiences have mostly been non-professional sellers who do not list measurements correctly or leave out glaring damage in their listing. My favorite response, which is the most common, is that stain or rip wasn't there when I packed it up. Or that smell. (laughs) Yeah, that black mold smell. (laughs) But I had one experience that made me actually cry. In September of 2020, I found a hard-to-find Western set in my size. It's something I always wanted and was excited to find it for $50. Within hours, my purchase was canceled. I've always suspected but could never prove that there are resellers that look at the sold items to do behind-the-scenes buying by offering more than what the item sold for. This wasn't the first time I got a good deal on a coveted item, only to have it canceled the same day but this one was the one that hit me the hardest. Six months later, I saw it on social media for sale by a well-known dealer at a much higher price. I knew it was the same one because it had the same fading spot as the other one I had bought. I do not know what went on behind the scenes, but whatever it was, it was shady. That put a bad taste in my mouth. It made me very bitter.
1: I would have been except too at that situation. And it sounds like for you, this isn't just about being done wrong in situations like this. It it sounds like there's lots of things that led up to it, but this situation in particular is a relatable one. I've definitely been there too. I can't remember the exact situation, but seeing something that you really liked and you were excited about for a good deal only to have the auction canceled and someone else to swoop in and flip it, not even take it for themselves. I mean, it's... It's an emotional feeling. Some resellers are claiming that vintage is running out, justifying their high online prices. Do you find this to be true based off of your own experiences? What would you want others to know about this?
2: Vintage is a finite resource. I do not know how finite, but up until the pandemic, I could thrift a steady supply of vintage. I could easily find things online, but now both the thrift stores and the online resources have dried up. I have friends who have been in the vintage clothing business for decades, unable to find a steady stock of inventory. I do not know if people are hanging on to their items or if more sellers are snatching things up, but it is getting harder and harder to find, especially at budget prices. The few things I still find at thrift stores have also gone up in price since the pandemic. I have found that many thrift stores have prices closer to antique stores than charity shops. I always knew that things would be harder to find as fabric disintegrated or more people collected, but I never expected this to happen overnight. I wish I had facts to say why, but I only have speculation.
1: Same. I have lots of speculation, but it's it's harder to prove the facts. I mean, just from people I've talked to, it seems like there is a lot of hoarding going on, a lot of people with large warehouses of items, they're buying up things for good value online and adding it to their stockpile of things that they're flipping for high prices. And I think that that contributes to a good deal of it. Um, But again, there's probably lots of explanations and it's just important to think about and talk about all of them, whether or not we have or no one true answer. I don't think there's ever going to be can you tell me about the differences between resellers who are fair and the ones who are asking way too much? Is there a difference in temperament or personality that you've noticed? Why do you think some are like this versus not? I think that there is a difference
2: between sellers who are doing it for the love of vintage and those who are doing it for money. Those that are doing it for the love of it have fairer prices. They have great customer service and go out of their way to make sure their stock is presentable. Those that are doing it for money may not have the knowledge base, hide glaring damage, and do not have a wide variety in styles of what they sell. Of course, this isn't true for every seller, but I have seen this many, many times. Those that do it for the love of vintage will still be selling vintage even when it is no longer popular. Those who are in it for the money are swayed by the tide of what sells, even if it is outside their knowledge base or shop aesthetic.
1: What do you think about resellers who hide flaws and refuse refunds or to compensate customers who receive faulty or misrepresented products? It seems to be rather common.
2: I think that these sellers are evil. I do not understand how someone can have such horrid customer service and still get people to buy from them. I think that as a community, we need to band together. We need to let each other know about these types of sellers. We do not have a forum where we can call out bad business practices like Yelp, but word of mouth spreads fast.
1: I don't really have anything to add to that, except I agree.
2: I just want to add that, like, personally... Uh, I think that there should be some sort of, like, public forum where people can post, like, you know, things that have happened to them with proof just to let other people know what's going on and, like, where they don't have to fear being blacklisted, because I know that that was an issue, like, oh, they may not shift this country anymore if I leave them a bad review. So it's almost like people are, are being scared into not leaving, like, accurate reviews, you know, if people, like, do them wrong, and that's
1: kind of a shame. Yeah, it's it's I understand why they don't want to do it, but it's also creating a situation where it's easy for other people to get duped into that same situation. And I just want to encourage anyone who wants to share those types of things. You can anonymously send a message to me on my Instagram Um, or if you'd like to talk about that situation with other people, my Facebook group, it's it's a buy sell trade type of fashion group, but no resellers are allowed. So it might be a good place to discuss things there. I'm kind of intending it to be more of like a close-knit community, so we'll see what happens. Lastly, what are your thoughts on how we as a community could make changes to make vintage more approachable and affordable for those who can't afford high prices? As has been mentioned
2: to me, demand sets prices. And if people stop paying these high prices, then the prices would come down. As long as people are willing to spend $700 for a blouse, the sellers will keep pushing to see how far they can go. Then it becomes a status symbol. There was one buyer in particular that would buy anything, even if it wasn't her size. Then turn around and flaunt how much she spent. If that's all vintage means to you, then maybe you should buy luxury items instead. We really should be a community and not a competitive market. We need to look out for each other. We are adults. We are not in high school. Social media is not
1: real life. Wait, it's not. No, I'm just. Oh kidding. wait, hold I, on. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> no darn. I, I, I agree. I agree. It's it's not life, and I do think that some people take it way too seriously. And I mean, buying something that's not even your size for hundreds of dollars, like that's.
2: Yeah, go you.
1: That's the ultimate yeah, flex. No. <laughs> no, it's it's, it's interesting. Silly. It's bizarre. <laughs> it, exactly. Like I just don't understand it. Um. But I just want to say thank you so much for your time and energy. I know that your experiences are an integral part of understanding why things have gotten so out of control. Do you have any finishing thoughts? I would
2: like people to be more true to themselves, not be guided by the popular crowd. Wear what you want. Have your own style. Don't allow social media to mold your personality. Don't overextend your budget just to be popular or get more followers. And finally, be mindful about who you choose to buy from.
1: You know, I think that says it all. Just be mindful of who you choose to buy from is probably the biggest message that I want to put across and observe how these resellers are acting. I would even invite you to observe some of the things they've been saying about me that are clearly not true if you've listened to my podcast or read my posts, or even just ask me questions. If you don't understand something, I'm happy to discuss it. If it's a genuine question, an invitation to to learn, then I'm happy to talk about it. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of silencing going on towards me where people are encouraging others to block me or not work with me or not give interviews to me or not talk to me and that kind of behavior has social repercussions i mean doing that to someone is that is that drawing a boundary or is that kind of covertly bullying them you know make them feel like they don't exist were you gonna say it's also
2: ostracization and frankly again the whole anti-woman thing silencing women like Especially
1: ones that have controversial opinions.
2: Right. Yeah. It's like you've been nothing but respectful, to be honest. And some of the things that I've seen from the people who say to block you are, quite frankly, highly disrespectful.
1: Yeah. And keeping it classy and respectful is something I'm going to continue to do because I feel like there's the most validity in that. And it shows. So just by behavior alone, I think that can prove a lot about who or what is really the biggest issue here and what the truth is. So again, I'm happy to just be encouraging everyone to listen to the truth, think for yourselves, ask questions, even when it's uncomfortable and choose wisely about who you support because it could make a difference to someone who's just like you. Do you have anything left to say Miranda before we sign off? Just
2: to hold hold these people accountable for what they're doing, that's yeah. really all. Just everything
1: that you said. Yeah, vote with your you. dollar. <laughs> yep, vote with your dollar, and thank you so much for joining me today on the show, Miranda. And thank reading... you for having me. Yeah, and reading thank you all for listening. Right? Yeah, thank you all for listening, and can't wait to see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.
0: When the toil of day is o'er, I sit outside my cabin door and keep on thinking more and more about my dusky lives. The gates are open wide, and Liza sits down by my side, all my troubles then I hide, when she starts to shake her eyes, oh, shaky eyes. can hardly stay on the ground, oh, shaky eyes, oh, oh, those shaky eyes, they make you feel so funny, you can give up all your money, for those shaky, I said shaky, oh, those ever-loving shaky eyes. name I love to hear It's sweeter than your sweetie dear She sets me crazy when she's near And starts to shake her eyes And when she puckers up to kiss Lord, that's one thing I never miss It makes me holler out with bliss Oh, you shaky eyes Oh Shaky eyes, oh, oh, those shaky eyes When they roll around and round My feet can hardly stay on the ground Oh, shaky eyes, oh, Lord, those shaky eyes They make you feel so funny You can give up all your money Oh, those shaky, I said shaky. Oh, those ever-loving shaky eyes. <laughs> <laughs>